Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sailing the East podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about the boats, equipment, and techniques. And when I come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. What makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us sails. Yeah, and that would be me, Bala. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. I don't know a Clovis pin from a cheek block, uh, and I have sunk an unsingable dinghy, twice actually. Uh, so I'll ask most of the questions, and Bela will try to answer. Bela, my question for you today is, and this is spurred by the fact that I just got my winter tires put on my car last week, is... Assuming that you live in cold climates like you and I both do, what do you have to do to get your boat ready for winter? That's a good question, Mike. And a winterizing day is always a sad day that all sailors and boaters who live in cold climates face. You either do one of two things. You either sail to a warmer climate or you put the boat away for the winter. So we're going to talk about putting your boat away for the winter and the things that I go through. We're going to talk about three different things. The process of putting the boat away for the winter the amount of work that goes into winterizing your boat. And thirdly, there's sort of a silver lining to all of this, because at least what I do when you're winterizing your boat is you get to go over most of the systems on the boat and you check their condition. It's easy to wait until something stops working or breaks, you know, like I do on my car. <laughs> but when I have a boat, once a, once a year, I'm tearing it apart pretty much, looking at all of the systems, and it's a great time to check things during the winterization process. And the other bonus is now I have a several months to get the parts and to get whatever I find that needs uh, repair or maintenance fixed before the springtime. So that way I'm not in a mad rush in the spring uh, when I'm trying to put the boat back in the water and go sailing. Sounds like a great tutorial, Bela. Uh, start me at the beginning. What's involved in winterizing? Up, up where you are, it gets cold. Uh, can the boat stay in the water while you're doing all of this? Yeah, well, that sort of depends. Uh, there's, there's a fair number of people who do keep their boats in the water. But I think the first question you have to ask yourself is what kind of water are, are you on or what kind of water is your boat on? If it's salt water, it typically won't freeze up around here. You have to go pretty far, even further north for it to freeze. Uh, but any fresh water or brackish water will certainly freeze. So if you want to keep your boat in the water, um, you can do that. But here's the thing. You still have to winterize your boat because the boats, unless you're going to keep the boat heated somehow, and most boats are not insulated like your house, so you're going to burn a lot of energy or a lot of diesel fuel or something to keep your boat warm inside, you still have to winterize it. 
So the only thing you're saving is sort of taking the boat out of the water or leaving it in the water, right? Real big boats, of course, stay in the water because there's no easy way to pull them out. Um, but for, for boats like ours, it's easy to pull it out. But people do leave them in. And what uh, I would say the predominant uh, folks uh, pull them out. If you are going to leave your boat in the water, there are these things called uh, bubblers, uh, which basically agitate the water that's around your boat and keep it moving so it doesn't freeze and the ice does not damage the hull of your boat. But you still need to winterize, you know, the water system on your boat, uh, etc., cetera, uh, because in the cold weather, uh, the, water on, the water in your holding tanks, i.e. the water that you drink, uh, the water that comes out of your sink faucet, will freeze. And uh, so you still have to go through the winterization process, even if you do leave your boat in, in the water. Now, the other advantage of sort of pulling your boat out of the water is that you also get to inspect the hull and the rudder and the propeller and all the other things that are typically sit underwater all year round. Uh, so you want to do this at least once a year anyway. And so when you're pulling your boat out of the water um, for the winter, it's the perfect time to do that. So, Bela, on my standards, your boat is kind of large, based on what I'm used to. Um, so how exactly do you get this thing out of the water? <laughs> yeah, so my boat's uh, 45 feet long, weighs about 28,000 pounds. So it's a pretty hefty uh, weight to lift out of the water. And uh, there's someone who came up with a great invention. Uh, I don't know who it is, but the, I think the name of the generic name for it is called a travel lift. Uh, and it's this big uh, uh, crane with wheels on it uh, that... Uh, uh, it's actually uh, more of a cradle than a crane, so it's not a typical crane with one one boom that sticks up, but it's sort of a cradle uh, that can drive over the top of your boat, um, and they have some straps that hang down, uh, and those straps go underneath the hull, and then with those straps, they can lift the boat up out of the water and drive your boat wherever they want to put it in the, in the lot, uh, and then they put it on some stands, some jack stands that sort of... Uh, hold the boat up and keep it from falling over. Um, so it's a great, great invention. But I'll tell you, it's, it's always slightly uh, uh, nerve-wracking when you see your boat being lifted out of the water that way because it's, it just uh, it looks like it's only semi-stable at best. And it makes, always makes me a little bit nervous. I, I don't mind watching other people's boats get lifted out of water, but when they lift mine out of the water, uh, uh, my heart always beats a little bit faster. I don't blame you one bit. Do you take the mast down? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to. Uh, this uh, this uh, mechanism, this travel lift, can is open at one end, so it can straddle your boat, uh, and and the mast can can remain up. Yeah, it's okay. really a cool invention. You should Google it. it, it it's called a okay. travel lift, and uh, okay, really a remarkable remarkable invention. All right, well, let's go through. So you, you get the boat up and out of the water. What are the next steps in the process? So I like to break it down into two parts, actually. Uh, there, there's a part, there's, there's a bunch of things that I need to do uh, when the boat is actually still in the water. So it's, it's sort of preparing it for coming out of the water. And then there's things that I can do once the boat is out of the water or on the hard is what us marine people call it. When a boat's out of the water, they say the boat is on the hard. Um, so that's how I break it down. Things I do that while the boat's still in the water, 
and things I like to do uh, uh, when the boat's out of the water. So, okay, what do you do in the water? So in the water, uh, what I focus on are things that actually need water to be done. So, for example, I need to winterize the engines and uh, change the oil and all the filters. Well, in order to winterize the engines, uh, one of the things you want to do is you want to warm them up a little bit and run them uh, before you change the oil. So the engines are cooled, uh, and I have two engines on my boat. One's, the, one's for a generator, uh, so it has a small diesel engine, and the other one is the main engine to propel the boat. Uh, so both of those engines use uh, seawater to help cool them. So I can only run them if they're in the water, unless I come up with some elaborate way of cooling them, which I don't have. So while the boat's in the water, I turn those engines on, I warm them up, uh, and then I change the oil and I change all the filters. So that's relatively easy to do. Um, and then the next thing uh, that I do is I actually uh, winterize um, the, the water system as well. And so the reason I do that on the water is uh, it includes uh, getting the head pumped out. So for both the engine cooling system uh, or the raw water cooling system, which is the water that gets sucked in from the sea, um, there's a, a seacock that you can close. And uh, what I do is I close that seacock, and then through that part of the engine, I pump uh, antifreeze through it. So they, they make environmentally friendly antifreeze, which is the kind that use typically called RV antifreeze. Uh, for recreational vehicles, uh, and uh, I pump that through. So that sort of winterizes the cooling system of the engine where there's raw seawater at. And then for the, the, my boat also has a, uh, a water system on it for drinking water, right, and for washing dishes and things. So it has three 360-gallon three tanks on it. Uh, so I drain all the water out, uh, I flush the toilets a whole bunch of times to get those lines all kind of cleaned out. And then I drive the boat uh, to get it pumped out because the pump out is at the dock. So got to get the boat pumped out and get the holding tank emptied. And then I drain all the water out of all of the holding tanks, uh, all of the water tanks and all of the sinks and the drains and everything. And then I pour more of this RV antifreeze into my three water tanks. And then I pump that water. I turn on the water pump, pressure pump, and I pump that water through all of the faucets. So one at a time, I open each faucet until this pink uh, antifreeze comes out, each of, each of the lines. And I got to also drain the hot water system. So there's a hot water tank. So I have hot water on my boat. <laughs> And, nice. and uh, you know, which is nice for those showers. And, but I got to drain that tank and that too, I got to fill up with this uh, RV antifreeze and pump it through all the hot water lines. So this takes me uh, the better part of, uh, well, this, this past year, since I just got the boat, uh, this was the first time I did it. And just doing the on the water stuff took me the better part of a day. Um, and I'm sure next year it'll be faster because I was learning things and I was trying to figure out how to do certain things and what's the most efficient way of doing it. Uh, 
But uh, now the other option, of course, is when you're at a marina like I am, uh, you can hire the folks at the marina and they will do this for you. So if you're not a do-it-yourselfer, that's fine. Um, it'll cost you, you know, like for my boat, it's probably seven, $800 to get it winterized. Uh, because again, it's pretty complex. There's a fair number of systems on it and, and they'll do it for you. Uh, or, uh, I like, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So, so I do it myself. So the stuff, again, just to summarize the stuff I do in the water is I do the engines, including the generator engine. I do the water systems and I do the heads, uh, and on the engines, of course, it includes running this RV antifreeze through the cooling system, the freshwater cooling system of the, or the seawater cooling system for the engine. Yeah. Do you have to run the engines out of gasoline, or can is it like a lawnmower and you can add the fuel stabilizer? Ah, uh, yeah, good question. So yeah, I I add fuel stabilizer. So the other thing I do is they typically say your fuel tanks should be relatively full because you want to limit the airspace that's in the tank because that airspace, the air just contains humidity, and when it gets cold, it condensates and drips into, the, into your fuel. So you want to fill up your tank uh, pretty close to full, and then I put in uh, fuel additive um, for the winter. They make fuel stabilizer for diesel fuel, just like they do for gas engines, and I put that in, and then... I run the engine. So that's actually the very first thing I do, Mike. So a good question. I, I should have talked about this earlier. I actually put the fuel at, fill up the tank and put the fuel additive in, and then I run the engine uh, because then that takes the, the fuel additive and runs it through all of the parts of, of both of those uh, uh, diesel engines. Cool. Okay, so then you're ready to take it out of the water. You get it onto the hard, as you say, and then what do you do? Yeah, so uh, once it's up out of the water on jack stands uh, – uh, this is the time I need a ladder to get up to my boat. <laughs> so you'll see, you'll see pe- people driving around the arena with ladders on their top of their cars, and you go, "What? What the heck's the ladder for?" Well, it's your boat sits up pretty high now, particularly sailboats because they have a big keel on them, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I get a ladder, I climb up to the boat, and the first thing I do is I typically um, remove the sails. So I take the sails down for the winter. And, and one of the reasons you want to do is both of my sails are what are called furling sails. So they kind of roll up by themselves uh, like a window chain blind, uh, which makes it very easy to, to, to change the amount of sail that you have out when you're sailing. Really, really nice invention. However, uh, if, if you have to be very careful, and everyone recommends that during storms or high winds, you, you take the sails off because if the line comes undone, the wind can unroll your sail automatically. So in the winter, it's good practice. You remove the sails, uh, fold them up, put them away for the winter. Uh, I inspect them. Uh, this is, again, a, a good time to inspect things, right? Is there any stitching that needs to be sort of repaired for the winter? What's the condition of the sails? Any, any worn areas or chafe that's coming up? Uh, it's a great time to inspect that stuff. Um, and then uh, also while the boat's up on the hard, it's a great time to look over the hull. Um, you know, I look for cracks or how's the paint? So uh, hulls typically get painted with anti-fouling paint. So it's a special kind of paint that has some kind of additives in it that sort of prevent uh, seaweed and barnacles and algae from growing on the hull. And up where I am, uh, the water's colder, so typically you have to paint your boat 
once, either once a year or every other year. So when you pull the boat out, it's a great time to sort of check it, say, okay, am I going to have to paint it before I put it back in the water or can I get another year out of it? Um, also a good time to inspect the, the rudder and the keel, the propeller, the propeller shaft, all those kind of things that are sort of underwater that you don't have very good access to. There's also something that are called zincs on the boat. Um, and because it's in seawater, um, if you remember from chemistry, uh, salt water has all these ions floating around in it. And uh, if you have two dissimilar metals uh, close to each other, uh, ions can float back and forth between the two of them. And, and one of those pieces of metal will get smaller and the other one will get bigger. Um, so boats have pieces of metal hanging down in the water. So what they do is they, they take zinc, which is very reactive in seawater, and it's sort of sacrificial, and, the, and they have these little chunks of zinc that you can bolt on to various different parts of your boat, uh, and, you know, they get eaten away uh, by design um, during the season. And uh, so you typically take your zincs, and you take them off, and you replace those things once a year. So here again, it's something that's underwater, so it's the perfect time to do it um, uh, while the boat's uh, on the hard, so to speak. Um, so the other thing I do is uh, I then I disconnect the batteries. Uh, I like to keep uh, I keep my batteries on the boat for the winter. Some people take them off, um, and I have a total of four batteries on the boat. There's one battery for starting the engines, and then there's three separate batteries that are all hooked together that sort of run the lights and the microwave and the you know coffee maker and electrical outlets and all that kind of stuff. And these batteries are really big and heavy. They're like over 100 pounds each. So they're, they're staying on the boat for the winter. I'm not taking them off. And, uh, but I make sure they're fully charged. And then I disconnect them all. So uh, Because even though you turn all the switches off, uh, just like in your car, there's still a little bit, a few little things that are using electricity. Uh, so I disconnect the batteries. And, uh, I, again, good time to inspect them, make sure they're full of water and all that kind of stuff. And then the last thing I do is uh, I cover the boat. And, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, two different ways to, to kind of cover your boat. Uh, one is a canvas cover, which I happen to have for my boat. The previous owner had a custom-made canvas cover made. Uh, they're pretty expensive. Uh, I think the one that he had made was like uh, five or $6,000. Uh, you know, so it's a big piece of canvas. It comes in three pieces, and I use that to cover the boat uh, for the winter. There's plenty of people who don't cover their boats in the winter. Uh, you know, boats are pretty hardy devices, and uh, they snow falls on them, uh, so be it. They're waterproof from the top, or they should be. And uh, other people cover them with canvas covers, which I think are, are clearly in the minority. Uh, there, there's not a lot of people who have canvas covers. Uh, the thing that most people do is something called shrink wrap. And uh, so you ready for this, Mike? This is now now my rant about shrink wrap. Well, wait, like shrink wrap, like what I'm thinking, shrink wrap, like when I go to the grocery store and the vegetables are wrapped in plastic film around uh, a tray? Yep. It's thicker, uh, much thicker. Uh, think, think of, you know, four or five layers of a garbage bag thickness. It's white. It happens to be white in color. Uh, but yes, so it's... Uh, Big shrink and they shrink wrap the the top of your boat, the hull of the boat, and and this is a great invention, right? It works great, uh, 
but it's so freaking wasteful. So the, the main purpose of, of shrink wrap is it, 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 uh, it protects your boat from the elements in the winter, Pro- protects the, the, the deck and, and all the equipment you have on it. Uh, so what they typically do is they build some sort of scaffolding or uh, in, in structure like you'd have in a tent uh, with some wood, um, and, and then they take this shrink wrap um, and they drape it over the boat. It comes in these big rolls, um, and, and they drape it over the boat, and they have a way of taping the seams together. And then there's a big heat gun uh, the person uh, uses, and uh, he sort of applies that, and that shrinks this plastic tight all around your boat, just like the vegetables uh, in the grocery store. Um, and the great thing about it is if it snows, like up where we are, right, the snow sort of tends to slide right off of it because they, they make the, the frame structure at a, so it's as high and a steep enough angle and this plastic is slippery, the snow just sort of slides off on it. So it's co- sort of a zero maintenance type of thing. V- very nice. Uh, but here's the challenge, Mike. So my boat is 45 feet long and it's 14 feet wide. So, uh, you, you, and, and the shrink wrap, you got to hang over the sides of the boat a bit, a bit. So if, if I sort of did the calculation, my boat takes about 1,500 square feet of shrink wrap. Now, wow. the first apartment I had <laughs> was only, I think, 900 square feet. So it, it takes because it's it takes a lot more than actually the square footage of the boat right because it's at an angle and you got to hang it over the sides etc so it's 1500 square feet of shrink wrap that's plastic that's used once and then disposed of right and isn't there some sort of recycling that you can do on this yeah there is right so they have a recycling collection center but you know Recycling is good, is better than throwing it in the garbage or in a landfill. But the best thing to do is not to use it at all, <laughs> right? So it's, it's like the difference between, you know, when they say, well, we take your French fries and we fry them in vegetable oil. That, that doesn't mean the French fries are good for you, <laughs> but it's better than frying the French fries in lard, <laughs> yeah. so, this, this sounds, Bela, like an opportunity for an environmental intervention. Uh, that somehow we need to incentivize people to avoid the shrink wrap and use these kind of canvas boat blankets like you have. Um, I, I think that's that's an interesting approach. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, you, you go there, you go to any marine in the springtime, and 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 yes, they have a place to recycle it, and it, the place is just chock. You can figure the marine I'm at probably has 100 boats that are shrink-wrapped, right? And And that's a lot of square footage of shrink wrap. And, you know, I've read articles about recycling that, you know, some places recycling just means you put it in a different bin, but it ends up in the same place <laughs> at the end of the day. So yeah. who knows? I'm sure they do a good job recycling it. But again, my point is recycling it is better than throwing it in the landfill. But the best thing to do is is not to use it at all. And I think this is yeah. one place where where boaters are not environmentally conscious. And maybe there's an environmentally friendly way to make it easier to get these custom covers made or something like that. There, there could be an invention there, Bela, in our future for this. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my canvas cover works great, right? I mean, it's in three pieces. Takes me a couple hours to put it on because I got to secure it. And this year it took me a couple hours, three, three hours, because I had to figure out which end goes where and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it works well. It doesn't shed snow as well. Um, but, hey, it's, it's sort of, you know, environmentally friendly. Uh, and, and it's already six years old from the previous owner, and it's still in great shape. I'll, I'll easily get another six, seven, eight years out of it, you know. So uh, it's, it's not bad. But, yeah, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I know, wonder, I, you know, these boats now, new boats have digital plants, right? And I wonder if we couldn't get a 3D print something um, that, that comes together and clicks together in pieces. And then you can take all that and melt it down again and use it. Well, you could store those pieces and use them for the next year. Right. Or you could melt that plastic down or whatever the, the nylon or whatever you use and then just use it again to print a new one the next the next year. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if we could use additive manufacturing techniques for something like this. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, a lot of boats have what they call canvas on them, which is uh, a, a little a little canvas roof. Uh with mm-hmm. some clear uh, and forward to keep you out of the wind, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of boats yeah, don't have these. cabins on them, right? So they have these things made out of yep. canvas. And and they're all custom made, right? They're all, some guy, some person comes out with a tape measure and he measures these things and then he custom makes it for your boat. And I'm thinking like, for example, my boat um, is 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 a, a 2009 so it's the second year that they produce these boats and i'm hull number 136 so they they've made a hundred in, in less in two years they made 136 of these boats and like you said a lot of this stuff is digitized There's, there should be just this business that makes a standard cover <laughs> for for my model boat but it's all custom stuff um and and uh, there, there's probably an opportunity there of some sort, but I, I don't know if the overall volume is high enough to sort of merit that type of business, right? I don't uh, know. I but, mean, they're making shoes now. You know, Nike and Adidas both kind of use this single strand. It's not quite additive manufacturing, but it's this kind of same idea where you could take one strand and, and, and create this thing um, from a digital print, and then you don't have this basically hand cutting and sewing that you're talking about right and hand measuring yeah you can use the digital print i don't know i think we should probably save that for another episode we could probably do a whole thing on uh environmentally sustainably sailing and a a whole future episode of that yeah yeah because to me it's one of the ironies right a lot of people sail because it is environmentally friendly right you use the wind you don't have to use the motor all that much yada 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 blah 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 and then we use 1500 square feet of plastic every winter to cover the damn thing Right. All right, a little bit ironic. Yeah, exactly. Should we wrap this one up, Mike? That's a good pun, speaking of wrapping. I like <laughs> it. Sure. <laughs> thanks for putting this together. I learned a lot, Bela. It was interesting. Listeners, thanks for joining us. We hope you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking like I did. Uh, if you have questions about what Bela has discussed, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. And uh, if you like the podcast, uh, please subscribe and uh, tell a friend about it. We really appreciate that. Uh, And if you'd like to do a review or make a comment, uh, we like that as well. So signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Thanks, Bela. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see you next time. Yep. Safe sailing for everyone. 